You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. So, last week, um, Tyler started us off on this Discipleship 101 um, course series with, um, with an introduction to discipleship. And he talks about how there's, there's only one kind of Christian, and that's a disciple follower. Um, he talks about a disciple being a follower and that's what the, the word means and what it's related to. And he showed us this video of God chipping away at those those parts in our lives um, that that are not right and that are, and trying to make us look more like Jesus, sort of t- trying to shape us into that um, that model of Jesus a little bit more. And the, the whole concept that God loves us um, too much to leave us the way that we are and wants to change us and mould us to look more like he does. And we begin to look more like Jesus as we as we follow him and imitate him. I'm just going to lift the stand up. Um, and so this week I'm going to be talking about discipline, which is a fun topic that we all love. I'm sure. Um, we're going to look about about how discipline fits into this whole idea of discipleship, and how how it's really at the heart of what discipleship really is and what it's about. Um, we'll be looking at it from two different angles. So I'll be looking at self-discipline and what I've called God discipline, just so that they both work with hyphenated words. It does. So anyway, to help us uh, frame the discussion, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 um, and verses um, 1 to, I think, either 12 or 13, probably 13. So you can either turn there or, um, or I'll just start reading it. So Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 13 says this, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And you have and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone who accepts his who he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, We've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, 
in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So let us throw off everything that it hinders and, this, and, and the sin that so easily entangles and run this race with perseverance. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there, isn't there? And the, the, probably the, the theme word for that passage is discipline. So um, why don't you turn your eyes to the screen for just a second? Just run away, Forrest. Run, Forrest! Run away! Hurry! Get the bike! Hurry up! Let's get it! Come on! Look out, Johnny! Here we come! Gotta get you! Run, Forrest! Run! Run, Forrest! Come back here, you! going somewhere, I was running. I wanted to show that clip partly because I love the movie, I think it's a really cool movie, and um, partly because it helps, um, it helps me to highlight something, something important about this idea of discipline and discipleship and how it all fits together. Um, you see, Forrest could never have run like he did. And if you've seen, I think everyone's seen the rest of the movie, he, he enjoys running. He's a bit like Julian in that, like just goes running crazy distances. Um, but Forrest could never have run like he did without coming under the discipline of the leg braces. Because he because he had a he had an issue that says earlier in the movie that that his spine was all bent out of shape and the doctor puts these leg braces on so that he can um, to basically help him fix his spine and the issue that's that he's got with it. But it looks like they're hindering him. It looks like they're holding him back. It looks like they were stopping him, but actually those restrictions were fixing a bigger issue in his, in his life that meant that he would never be able to reach his full potential if he didn't have them on. So he'd never be able to run like that. He'd never be able to do all the running that he did if he wasn't wearing those leg braces 
in the first in the first place. So it kind of seems a bit strange, but it, it makes sense when you think about it in those terms. You know, if if you have something in your life that's holding you back, sometimes being carefree about it and just saying, oh, it's okay, sort of being blasé is not, not necessarily the answer. Sometimes there are restrictions that we need to put in place, boundaries and things that we need to set um, or put on for our own benefit. Sometimes God says, not yet, for our own benefit, because he knows that if we, if we were to try to run the race in the, in the state in the way that we are, then these things would be weighing us down and they'd stop us from completing it. They'd stop us from getting there. We wouldn't be able to run it with perseverance, as, as the writer to the Hebrews says. This, this word that we have in, um, in Hebrews, this word discipline, uh, comes from the Greek word paideia. And that itself comes from a family of, of Greek words, which has to do with sort of childhood and upbringing and um, sort of like young child comes from the same family as, of words as, as this word discipline, which is kind of strange when you think, how can young child and discipline be kind of the same word in the, in the language? But they're, they're very closely related. And you see, it's all interlinked with childhood and upbringing and that kind of thing. It's, it's an instructive word whose emphasis is on um, teaching us in order that we progress and that we move forward. Not to hold us back, but to instruct us towards a better future. And so what are we called to do? Well, as I said before, there's these two elements of discipline that I want to look at. There's this self-discipline and God-discipline. And this passage deals with both elements for us, which is kind of helpful. Um, firstly, we're called to have self-discipline. We're called to like, lead ourselves, be, be leaders of ourselves and and verse 1 of, of um, Hebrews 12 calls us to throw off these things that hinders, hinder us. Now, the act of throwing off is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. You can't throw off without putting some effort in. And it requires us to actively do something. You see, when I wake up in the morning, the choice that I have to make is either to passively remain as I am or to actively throw off the bed sheets and get out, out of my pit, as my mum would say. Um, now, the writer here is well aware that, that things do hinder us. Uh, things come along and may damage and, and, and cause harm to our walk with God. Things happen to us that, that we can't always control, and they, might, they may hold us back. And there's nothing we could have done to necessarily stop some of these things from happening. But we're called to actively make an effort to throw off these things, these hindrances that come along and, and sort of cut in on us we're, and not get texts while you're trying to preach. Um, we're, we're called to throw these things off in the same way that, and, and in the same way there's a sin problem. So we've got these things that hinder us and we've got the, the sin that so easily entangles. We've got these two things. And the, the sin problem keeps rearing its ugly head. I think in, in each one of our lives we can probably attest to that in different areas, I'm sure. Um, but it's something that we're, we're actively doing or saying or thinking um, that's causing our run to slow 
to a walk or I walk to slow to a stop. You know, we, we need to be aware of these things, these hindrances and these, these sin issues. And secondly, we need to manage them. And that's an active step. So I like to think of it like this. I like to think that there's, there's problems to be solved and tensions to be managed. So if you have a problem with sin in your life, you have to actively deal with it. Now, it might involve you just stopping doing what you're doing or thinking what you're thinking or saying what you're saying. Um, but there might be other ways that you have to deal with it. Sometimes it can be harder. If it's a, if it's a sin issue, then often it's like, no, I don't want to do it anyway, but I do it. You know, and I keep doing it and that sort of thing. So it might be that you have to, you know, spend time in, in prayer about it and talk to God about it. It might be that you have to seek some help about it. It might be that you, you know, you, you grab someone at church, you make friends with people, you, you know, sort of have that sort of one-on-one accountability with, with someone in the church. It might be that you come to, to Julian or myself or, you know, someone else and, and, and have that sort of chat and say, there's this going on and we need to, we need to discuss it and, and kind of, I need some help with this. Because sin is a problem that needs to be solved. It's a, it's a thing that needs, that needs fixing. It's almost like we talk, we mention the sort of term brokenness and that kind of thing, but sort of broken things that sometimes they need, they need fixing. And I think with a sin issue like that, it's sometimes it's something that just you need the help or, um, or accountability or whatever to, to actually get to a point of, you know, this is not a problem for me anymore. I've solved that problem. It's not, and, and I can move on to the next problem that I've got going on. But there are other things that may happen to you and that might be no fault of your own. They may be completely out of your control. Um, it might be a consequence of something that you've done in the past or something that's happened to you in the past, but you can't change it. And dwelling on it and trying to fix it is getting you bogged down into something that hinders and it's holding you back because you can't, you can't fit as much as you try and fix it and you approach it the same way as like a sin problem. It's, it's not something that you can actually change in, in yourself. And so actually you may need to recognize that whatever th- that thing is, is actually a tension. It's a tension in your life that you can't, in a sense, do anything about. But what you can do is you can manage it. You can manage how you respond to it. You can manage how you think about it. You can manage what you do about it. See, that, that thing, that hindrance is a tension that needs to be managed rather than a problem that needs to be solved. And if it's a tension to be managed... You need to treat it as such because it's it's cutting in on you. It's hindering your your race. You know we've been talking about the race marked out for us that we we're supposed to run with perseverance. It's it's cutting in on you on on in that moment. So some things are problems to be solved, others are tensions to be managed. And so once we've got a bit of of a handle on that aspect of of self discipline, we can start to run the race marked out for us. The problem with that is we're only at verse 1. So it's like that's taken us all our strength, everything that we've got, 
to even just take that first step across the line to start to run the race. So how can we run this race? Well, verse 2 gives us an answer. It's to fix our eyes upon Jesus. But why? It's, I mean, it sounds very simple. Just, you know, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Everything will be all right. It sounds very simple like that. But why? It's because he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So there's two elements there that's actually really important. See, firstly, Jesus pioneered. He went before us. He showed us what it's like to live as a human perfectly. You know, we are in a privileged position to be on this side of, of Jesus, on this side of the cross, and not the other side, trying to, trying to sort of blindly go and, and hope, try and follow the law and try and do everything that we're supposed to do, but not really have anyone to set us an example of how to do that. But actually, we're on this side of it, and we've got Jesus who gives us the example of, well, how, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to live this life? Well, I've got someone to look to. I've got, I, can, I can fix my eyes, actually, on, on who Jesus is and what he did. You know, Jesus was the forerunner. He, he was tempted like we are, but didn't sin. He endured hardships like, like we do, but he didn't stumble. You know, he endured the cross. He suffered and died. You know, that's something that happened to him. That's a pretty intense thing. But he didn't he didn't waver in his walk. He he sort of accepted this is something that I'm gonna to have to manage and how and how I manage that is is I spend that time with God in prayer and you know seek his his face, seek his counsel. And he gives us these examples of, of how actually we, we're supposed to make these steps. You know, he experienced more than we can ever imagine and yet remained faithful and was active in his pursuit of God. And he's our model for how to live properly. And so verse 3 then goes on and says, consider him. Consider him. That's what, that's what we're meant to do. We're supposed to meditate on him, think about him, think about who he is and what he did. Put some serious thought into what steps in our lives do we need to start to take to look a bit more like Jesus? What, you know, it might be that, that one thing. It might be, what's that one thing that I have to do this week or this month or this year to start to change this element of my life or this, this part of my life that looks more like me and less like Jesus? See, we discipline ourselves and keep Jesus at the centre of everything. He's the main thing. And sometimes we forget that, but we need to keep him the main thing in order to grow, in order to do that sort of self-discipline stuff. If we're trying to do it on our own, then we're going to kind of struggle at it. But if we're doing it with Jesus as the focus, keeping him at the centre, then we're able to take that next step, that next step. And what's really helpful here is that we have a reason for consider him, considering him. There's a, there's a positive result that comes out of, it, out of it all. If we keep him the main thing, we won't grow weary. That's what the, the writer says. We won't lose heart. In other words, if we come under correct guiding discipline, we're being made ready for the journey. We won't get weighed down by the tensions and by the problems and by the sin. But we'll be properly able to deal with them by looking to Jesus' example. 
and fixing our eyes on him. So that's sort of a, a forerunner of that whole sort of self-discipline thing. But then there's God discipline. The passage shifts a little bit and the writer starts to talk about God discipline. He tells us what God does to discipline his children. See, this is the, the, the pioneer discipline, the parenthood of God. Um, I can't speak as a parent with any authority, being not a parent. But I can speak as someone who's been parented. And so there are, there are certain things that I know about having received parenthood that make me that I could that I could apply to this passage. And I was kind of thinking about like freedom and restrictions and stuff like that. And the the interesting thing was is that as I grew up I always had boundaries, but those boundaries shifted as I grew. So you may start off like in a in like a little gated playpen thing, but pretty soon you can run around the garden and make dens and stuff. And uh as I did nearly burn the house down. Well, that's because we had storage heaters. The storage heaters, when, you, when you're building a den with storage heaters and you pull the duvet over the top and use the storage heater to, uh, to build the duvet on, that's a bad idea, apparently, as I found out, when the duvet set on fire. But never mind. Um, see, anyway, point being, you may start off in a playpen, but pretty soon you can run around the garden. And then you're allowed out into the street to play. Maybe not around here because there's not really this pretty mental amount of cars. But, you know, where I was, we could play in the street. Or on the park, maybe you can play on your own. And then, then you get to walk to the shops with your friends. And then maybe on your own. And pretty soon you're walking to from school yourself. And then you're independent enough to catch a bus or, you know, go to go to a party on your own or, you know, meet friends in town or whatever. And then then you might get a job. You might learn to drive. You might move out of the home and start a life on your own and you're no longer under those restrictions anymore. You're able to remove those things that disciplined you because you've, you're now able to live your life without the help of that discipline. So that, those boundaries that discipline has taught you um, how to sort of behave within that next thing so you can you can go to the next thing that's a little bit bigger than that see i think god discipline is is the same in that parenting way and i think probably we'll never be at the point of being totally like jesus so probably we'll never be at the point where there's no boundaries or restrictions on on what we can do you know in that sense i think god's always going to put disciplines in and things in our life in place that because the reality is we'll probably never reach that point of being um, being perfect. I know I've probably got a long way to go. So um, there'll be certain things that will need to be dealt with at different points. And certain things will feel more intensely and will be more challenging as, as we experience God's discipline in, in different areas of our lives. We'll feel some things more than others, and some things will be a longer process than other things. Um, but the important thing is to remember, like parenthood, it's not for our harm that you stop your kid from doing something. 
It's actually for the benefit, and it's not for our harm that God stops us from doing something or says not yet. It's actually for our benefit. In order that we can run the race that he's marked out for us. The writer to the Hebrews, he, he quotes this proverb and he tells us not to make light of God's discipline, to pay attention to it, to choose to go God's way, come under his authority. Not to rebel and do our own thing, but to embrace God's authority and his discipline because everything he does is for our good. Everything God does is for our good. And the verses that we read tell us that God disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines us out of love as a sign of acceptance. Now that's stating the fact, isn't it, there for us that God is not doing this for like our bad, but actually for our good, for our benefit. And now you and I, we've, we've talked about this a number of times, you and I are adopted children into God's family. We're called sons and daughters of God. And coming under his discipline is good and right and appropriate as sons and daughters. And because God wants his children to live under his influence, God wants his children to look like him. And God wants his kingdom to be inherited by righteous heirs, moulded into his likeness. Verses 7 and 8 spell this, spell this sort of thing out for us. We have in verse 7, we have like a kind of formula. We've got hardship and discipline equals sonship. You know, God treats us as his children when we come under his parenthood, when we come under his discipline. And secondly, in verse 8, we have the opposite being true if we don't get disciplined then we're not legitimate heirs which I was like what's well, pretty pretty harsh words there you know you're not true sons and daughters at all if you don't get disciplined but it's true when you think about it you see discipline is what makes your inheritance legitimate No son or daughter is is given everything without being properly trained in how to use it. You wouldn't leave... Imagine now for a second that we all have three-year-old children. right? You would not leave your three-year-old child at home alone to fend for themselves for a week. Because it's only a week. It's not that long. In the grand scheme of things, you know, they've got a full life. They've got, what, 80 years? 80, 90 years maybe where medicine's going. Um, a week's not a long time. And they're three now. So, you know, they've, they've got three years of life experience. Three years of life experience is a long time. So let's just leave them at home for a week and let them fend for themselves. Because they're going to inherit everything when we're gone anyway. So they might as well get used to it and figure it out. So you might as well give it them all now so they can have a go at it. I mean, that is crazy, right? No one would do that. No one would leave a three-year-old at home for a week to fend for themselves. It'd be mental. And it would probably end really badly. <laughs> but that's what we often want with God. We're like, okay, right, I've been a Christian for this X amount of time now. Surely now you can just remove all the boundaries, all the discipline, everything. I can just feel a bit free and, and just do, just live life because I'm going to do it right. And God's like, 
No. That would be crazy. <laughs> we want everything. We want to run before we can walk. We, in reality, we need to come under the parenthood of God. In the same way, you wouldn't discipline a child that's not your own. You wouldn't, you wouldn't just see... I mean, maybe people would. I don't know. But I wouldn't go out into the street and see a child misbehaving and, and you know, shout at them or smack them or whatever. <laughs> would not do that. Because that's the job of the parent. And this is, this is what we're doing. We're coming as sons and daughters of God under God's discipline, under his parenthood. Like, he's not going to discipline us if we're not his children. That's what this verse is saying. He's not going to discipline us if we're not his children, but... If we are his children, he's going to discipline us. Because discipline is what makes your inheritance legitimate. And then we've got this comparison that, that God's discipline is greater than human discipline. We, we can recognize the benefits of human discipline. Like if you've got kids, you recognize the benefits of discipline in them, I, I would imagine. Um, yet... Yeah. Sometimes we find it harder to receive discipline, um, especially when I was a kid. Sometimes I would find it hard to receive discipline, and I didn't necessarily recognize the benefits of it, though my parents did. Um, but we find it hard to come under the discipline of God sometimes. We recognize when we're disciplining our own, and I'm speaking as like someone who doesn't have kids, but just is observant here. Um, but we recognize when you discipline kids, they, they kind of respond to it in a way and, and, and improve and get better over time. And we recognize the benefits there. And if God's discipline is better than human discipline, then you go, well, it's a good thing. I should be part of it. But then when it actually comes to the crunching, you've got to come under it yourself. You're like, whoa, I didn't sign up for that. You know, that's a little bit, a little bit too challenging, actually. See, maybe it's easier to give discipline than it is to receive it. It's like the opposite of a present. It's easier to receive a present than to give one, I think, anyway. Maybe that's maybe I'm just selfish, I don't know. <laughs> it is easier, though. Like if, if all I have to do is open the wrapping paper and go, oh, great, amazing, I've got a present, rather than go out and think, right, what would this person want? I forgot to buy them. And then you buy them something and they've already got one. And that's that's can sometimes happen but anyway it's easier to receive to give discipline than to receive it but again receiving is the only way we can actually grow as a disciple receiving that discipline is the only way we can grow and discipline can hurt and the image the image last week of the person being chiseled away at it was a pretty intense image at times and you, I think the, actor, the guy acting was, was quite good because he was getting quite upset and you were like, yeah, I can see, I can see that. Like, it's pretty intense, pretty painful, but it's helpful in the long run. Um, I've not got long left and I've gone over time, but um, I've used this analogy before and it is helpful of, like, when they process gold. I don't know if you... Um, how much um, we all know about processing gold, how many artisans there are in the room, who knows. Um, but they take the raw, sort of unprocessed gold, 
and they heat it up and heat it up and it gets a little bit uncomfortable for the gold. I imagine the, the gold in there going, oh, it's a bit warm. But um, it gets a little bit uncomfortable and the gold starts to melt. And when it melts, all the impurities separate and come to the surface. And the artisan's job is to scrape off those impurities from the top and leaving only the remaining um, pure gold. And then they're able to, to mould that, that molten gold into whatever shape or, or thing that they need it to be. And I think it's the same with God's discipline. You see, as he turns up the heat in our lives, that there are things that come to the surface. There are things that if we, if we allow him, they sort of rise up and, and rear their ugly heads. But it's at that point that he has the opportunity to scrape away and remove those things from our lives and remould us to look more like the person he made us to be, more like Jesus. See, he wants to purify us. And, and when it gets hard and when it gets hot, God's doing a work in us that will benefit us on the other side of that, of that sort of process. And then I'll just finish with this. As, as the passage draws to a close, we have this word, therefore. Therefore, we're called to do something about it. You know, discipline is a choice. Let me just turn to the passage again. It's going to be slightly harder having closed the Bible. He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. You know, in other words, therefore, do something about it. Discipline, ultimately, is a choice. Self-discipline is, is one choice, for sure. But God-discipline as well, coming under that discipline of God and actually responding to it appropriately is a choice as well. You know, we have these two elements, this self-discipline and God-discipline. Both of them require us to be actively involved. And we, ca we can't do it alone. We do need the help of each other. We do need the help of community, and that's, that's part of it. And we can't do it without actively engaging our brains, being intentional about the way that we live, thinking about the way, what is this, what is this thing in my life? Is it, you know, as we mentioned before, is this a problem that I need to solve? Is it tension that I need to manage? What is going on here? God disciplines us and calls us to throw off everything that hinders, but for our own benefit. And we need to choose today to press into God and his discipline. And that's, that's how we grow as disciples. That's how we become more like him. And so I'm going to ask um, just um, Johnny and Dave, if you want to, and Isaac, if you want to come up. And the rest of us, maybe if, if you can stand, if you're able. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people, in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news, or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.